Hey folks, what's going on? Welcome to another week to Live Life Wrestling Show. Bruce here, Hogan, that's me. Got Mike Smaller on the other side. Another week, man. What's going on with you? Uh, we have another home run guest today, which is hitting it out of the park with the last several episodes. So people are going to love this one. But this guy's had a huge influence on my training, on my training ideology, and and people probably hear me say that a lot. They go, "Look, every time you have a guest on, you say this, this guy's that huge." I was like, "That's because I'm getting the people that have influenced me on the show. See how that works? How about that? The there? See how that rolls out? That's one of the great things about the show is I get to talk to people that I feel like I've known them for a long time. That our guest today has never met me before, but I feel like I know him pretty well because I've been familiar with his training." ideology since 1994. I remember when I was a freshman in college is when I start, first started playing around with serious growth, the serious growth manual. And then he came out with Big Beyond Belief and then more recently Titan Training. And basically what he developed is a periodization program for bodybuilders based on how the Bulgarian weight trainers put their programs together. So we're going to talk to him about that. And then more recently, he suffered several strokes. So that became a big passion on how do you how do you recover from a stroke? How do you prevent strokes? How do you work with your doctor to make sure you're getting the best rehab and treatment? So that's going to be really interesting as well. And then he has a new app that we were talking about before we started recording. So we'll get into that as well. So without further ado, we have Leo Costa on the line. Leo, how you doing today, man? I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. How about you guys? Oh, doing doing good, man. Good having you on yeah, the show. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Normally, we do some housekeeping where we promote stuff and so forth. We'll save that for the end today because we only we, you only have an hour, so we want to make sure we get to everything we want to cover today. But I, I know you've okay. told this story probably a million times about how you went to Bulgaria and you worked with the you learned methods from the Bulgarian weight training team out there, Olympic weight training team, and then you took those concepts and applied it to a bodybuilding approach. So if you could just tell us that story, how that whole thing happened and how you developed what became the serious growth system and then Big Beyond Belief and then Titan Training, it evolved over many different courses. Sure. Uh, well, and, you know, the, when the first whole thing started was I was one of 19 Americans that were invited to Bulgaria. And we went over there and it was the first time that they let anybody in this close to the actual athletes. I mean, we had a stop in um, in Russia, and I tell you, man, and during those times, it was very competitive between those countries. And when we came in there, we we didn't get nowhere near the uh, the athletes, but they, you know, they had us with doctors, sports doctors, but the athletes at that point, they took them two hours away from us just to make sure that we didn't uh, somehow stumble upon their their uh, training methods. That was Russia. Um, but the thing, the thing that was amazing uh, was when we went to Bulgaria, totally different. They were, um, I mean, we were in their training camps, the national weightlifting. When I was up and close with those guys, and they were forthcoming with their information. It was, it was unbelievable. I mean, I was really up front with the, with the coaches because we had the coaches, the team, the team doctors, the. We had the you know the team, and I I told those people I said, look, I'm over here, and I'm I don't don't know what to expect, but the information that I go back with, and especially after I was there a few days, I said I, I'm going to turn this in and write a, a, a book for bodybuilding. And I said I just want to be upfront about that, and and if you're okay with that, and they said absolutely. They said that by the time you get back to your country with the information that you'll learn here, uh, we'll be down the road and you know, 
eight years ahead of what you're going to be be uh, right. pushing out there, you know. Yeah. So it was, I mean, they were just they were totally upfront about this thing. So you know, what was interesting was that the information that I got from them was really had more to do with uh, the you know they they were obviously they were really big into the weightlifting thing, but they knew all about how a bodybuilder should train. And I said, well, you know, why is it that you're not that you don't have more bodybuilders out there. It's all weightlifting. It's not because the weightlifting in our country at that point, that's the way we, we uh, brag to the West. And that's, that's, those guys that were weightlifters were like gods in those countries. You have to understand. And yeah. they said, with bodybuilders, it, it doesn't make sense to go do that because there was nothing. But they had all this information as far as how to train, you know. And so, yeah, I, you know, after I was there for, you know, the two weeks, I mean, we came back here. I came back. And I hooked up with my one of my partners that I'm still in, in business with, and we went ahead and designed a program. The first, actually, the first training program was called Bulgarian Burst. Yeah, I remember that. To, yeah, yeah, we wanted to use that name, obviously for obvious reasons. Kind of an expert from a far away, made it kind of mysterious. And back then, it was like uh, we came out and and at that time in the in the bodybuilding world, I was just up and coming at that point. I mean, I was more like at the regional level. And I was getting in the game here, you know, writing this book. I was getting in the game where Arnold Schwarzenegger was still out there with the book and Bill Pearl and some of the greats out there. And, you know, so I came back with this information. And, of course, we came out and said, you know, you need to train, you know, three times a day instead of once a day. <laughs> yeah. or, you know, things like that and why why everybody was wrong about the way they went about training. So that kind of, uh, you know, started that, that whole that ball that just snowballed into these other training courses. But, uh, yeah, that's where it all started was Bulgarian first training three times a day. And, you know, and we just took it from it there. Was, it was three times a day, six days a week. And also high frequency, meaning you hit the same body part several times a week. In fact, you would go through yeah. phases where you're doing it almost every day. And that was yeah. unheard of at that time. Now, now you see a lot more high frequency approaches out there, but at that yeah. time, I remember I would show your program to people and they would just roll their eyes. They go, there's no way this oh, I know. work. <laughs> you know, I they, know. Go, they go, you're yeah. going to be so overtrained. They would, they would see me in the gym benching three times a week. And like every time I walk in the gym, I'm doing the same body part. They go, there's no way this is going to work. <laughs> exactly. And the thing about that was, you know, the Bulgarian said, they go, look, it's virtually impossible to overtrain your physiology if you only train 30 to 45 minutes uh, right. with weights. You know, that was and, the other big thing. Most everyone was working out ninety minutes or two hours, and your exactly. approach was beyond forty-five minutes. You start getting a decline in testosterone and growth hormone. Cortisol goes right. up, so you have to cap it off thirty to forty-five minutes. Bam, you're out the door. Yeah, and you know, I tell you, I was one of those guys before I went over there. I mean, I was that guy, uh, you know, spending yeah. ninety minutes and two hours. And and when they told me and said, like, look, this is the way you should train based on your your hormone response. I'm thinking, how in the heck am I going to get, you know, a two hours worth of training into 35 to 45 minutes? <laughs> but I, I have to tell you, you know, combine, I mean, all of a sudden when you really, and, and it's like anything else, you know, change is very difficult for most of us. And you either have to buy into it all the way or not. And right. and that's what, obviously that's what I did. And, I, and I'll tell you something, what was really fascinating was how how I was able to get the same or even more work in that 30 to 45 minutes than I did in the hour and a half, uh, two hours that I was training. It was just amazing how that really worked out. And then on top of that, there was, you know, the thing that they also professed, which was, it's still, 
most people's minds was how warming up was a waste of energy. And, <laughs> right. You know, so when I came back from that, they said, now listen, you know, when you go back, we're not suggesting that you, you know, if you're that guy that's warming up before you get into the, your working set, we're not simply saying that you should just automatically not, you know, going from warming up to not going from warming up because your body has adapted to that warming up. Yeah. You've taught it what you want it to do. So right, you take a you know, gradual I'll, approach. Yeah. Yeah. Gradual approach. And I'll, I'll be a son of a gun, man. It was so awesome to be able to walk into a gym at any time cold and just, yeah. you know, put on three plates on the bench. Uh, well, that was my experience, too. That was the other thing is you don't believe it. I mean, you, you you read that, you're like, okay, I'll work up to that. Even when you started doing – like, I I had a similar experience where I could walk in and put on near max on the bar. I remember – I'll tell you a funny story. I remember I was visiting my parents in Kenya. I was working out at one of the few gyms out there, and I was I would, I would just go in there and bench press, and I would do maybe just one or two reps with a few light plates working up to my working weight. And this guy's watching me. The trainer there is watching me, and he's coming from that traditional bodybuilding world. And he's just waiting for me to blow a, t- a, a blow a pack yeah. out. So I, I worked up to three plates, and then I asked him for a spot. He just rolled his eyes. He goes, "You're not doing this right." He goes, "You need to do more warming up." And I was like, "Just spot me, man. All right, I don't need. To. I didn't ask you for your advice. <laughs> you know, I said, don't offer." And I just banged out five reps, and I just looked him dead in the eye. I didn't say anything, but the look was, now what do you have to say? And then he had, yeah, he didn't have, have anything, anything to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, if you warmed yeah. up, you probably could have done seven reps, Mike. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny if he said that. He goes, yeah, if you did a few warm-up sets, would have banged out 15 reps on that. But it was I can't tell you how many times people would tell me, they would sometimes people would watch me train at like the frequency and also what, like getting to the point where you don't really need to do much warming up. And even to this day, right. I'm not, I don't go in there and, and just put four plates on the bar and squat, but my warm-ups are minimal compared to what most people do. I mean, most people, yeah. if they're going to do, let's say, 405 for five reps, they'll do 135 for 10 reps, then 225 for 10 reps, then 315. It's like, why are you doing all of those reps? You're just getting yourself tired exactly. before you get to your working weights. No, I know. It was such a departure from what you know what was being said in those days that it just it totally blew people's minds. I saw it all the time. I go to these other gyms, you know, just like what you're saying. It was pretty interesting. Now, what about the notion that you're more likely to get injured if you don't do warm up? What was their explanation for you can just walk in and and do your some of these Bulgarian weightlifters would just do whatever their working weight is, right? They wouldn't do any kind of no, no warm up. Work or no, no, yeah. no. Hell, they'd, these guys would just uh, go right into their. I mean, when I went to their, their two of their competitions, one that was in when I was over, I went a second time over to uh, Eastern Europe, but they also came out here for some World Games, and these guys would just simply uh, when they had this, these events, the other countries. There were eighteen countries uh, when I went back the first time. The Bulgarians didn't come out to do their first lift because you know you get like three lifts and they do lift, yeah. uh, lift, you know, the way of the thing. The Bulgarians didn't come out for their first lift until those countries were done with their third lift. That's hmm. how that's how strong and dramatic these guys were. They didn't go up to the bar, and some of these guys would go through this whole routine. They go up to the bar, talk to it, yell, scream, <laughs> and then they yeah. they do this. <laughs> you know, the Bulgarians would <laughs> sim- they would just simply walk up to the bar, grab it, and yeah. lift it. Because what they said is, you teach your physiology what you want it to do. Because yeah. it, your physiology is, is you know it's it's um, fight or flight is to always adapt to its environment. If you're going to teach it that it needs to warm up, then that's what it wants to do. 
you teach right. it that it doesn't need to warm up, then that you're teaching that as well. I mean, it was that simple. And it was almost like, I mean, there's not more to it than that, you know? And it, but it was that simple. And I even asked them, uh, you know, going a little bit further, I said, what about visualization techniques? They said, they're a waste of time. You know, the same <laughs> idea. Is that you just go up there, and that's what, what, the, what these guys did is, because I watched this too in their, when they were lifting in, the, in their, uh, their gyms, they, uh, they did 50 to 65 one rep maxes every time yeah. they went in training. So that's they were crazy. training for that very specifically for the event. They didn't have to right. uh, think about it. They just walked up right. and did it because the hardest part of what they did was actually in practice. The actual yeah. event was easier than, than their training. Yeah. And plus, my whole thing about visualization and all these, these little techniques people have is it's either there or it isn't, right? So I can visualize yeah. all I want. If my body's not ready to do if my mind and body, rather, are not ready to pull whatever the weight is on the deadlift or squat, whatever the weight is on the bar, I, I can slap myself in the face until I'm black and blue. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not going to make yeah. a difference. Yeah, you got to do the work. You know, that's just plain and simple. So yeah, the repetition is a motor skill. That's why I learned that. You know, from them, and you just teach you what what you wanted to do. I mean, it's like okay, you sure there's nothing else here that we need to talk about? No, that's it. You know, <laughs> but but they were right. For me, listen, uh, that trip changed my my whole world and my life, and they still impact me to this day. And the way that I train, the way that I come back from what happened to me. I mean, they. It's still there. It's all relative to this day. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was just it was just one of those things where people would just they just couldn't believe it. They would look at the manual. They would they would look at the philosophy behind things, especially the three workouts per day. Yeah. But what they don't yeah. realize is that it's three thirty to forty five minute workouts. And, and granted, right. most people most people don't have time to do that unless they have a home gym. And even then, most people just aren't going to allocate that much time. But if you look at the total training time, you put those three workouts together, the total time, it's probably still going to be less than many people who go for two hours or more in just That's in true. one shot. And I have to tell you, when we set up that Bulgarian burst, we were mindful of the fact that the three times a day was probably not going to work for most people. But we, you know, we came out and we said, look, we know that this is not going to be something that, you know, may be reasonable, but... If you want to get the kind of results that we're talking about, then this is what you do. Figure it out. In other words, you know, I'm right. just telling you what you what you need to do, and then. Uh, but if you can't do it, we understand. And that's when we came out later on. Then we had it where you know, people were training twice, uh, twice a day. But yeah, that first one that we did. I mean, it was, you know, to to come out here and 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 make that kind of a workout compared to what was going on. It was. Listen, I got a lot of a lot of white mail. You know, a lot of hate mail. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. You know, but it, it didn't outweigh, you know, all the positive stuff. It just, it put people, you know, it polarized our our audience. And that's exactly what the, the our ad people said. That's that's the greatest thing. You don't want people sitting on the fence. They either hate you right. or they like you. Right. You, know, you want people talking so, about it. Right. You know, so it worked out for us, you know. We're looking at that. And you, had this whole, you had this whole micro periodization strategy also that was a lot different because people knew about the traditional periodization where, let's say, you do three months of endurance work and then three months right. of power training, three months of strength training. But you had a micro periodization approach where you were going through that each week. And then every three exactly. weeks, the program would modify to some extent. So you weren't just doing the same program 
for, yeah, exactly. In, until, in, and, until you plateau, you're basically anticipating a plateau and then modif- the program has is embedded with a modifying approach. Exactly. And we call that hyper acceleration, hyper adaptation. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. It was, uh, <laughs> it was pretty interesting how we, uh, we ended up doing that. Yeah, for sure. Was, was the initial feedback really positive? Let's say, let's go back to power. Was it called power burst or was it called Bulgarian burst? For some reason, uh, we, I remember had, Power Burst. We, we had Power Burst, but the name of the uh, magazine or the, the manual is called Bulgarian Burst. Okay. But uh, we, we use some of that language, uh, you know, throughout. Uh, so we uh, probably – I think maybe Power Burst was our first uh, – because I know what you're saying. It's been so doggone long ago, but I do know the, <laughs> the manual is called Bulgarian Burst uh, Training. Yeah. Yeah, what I saw was an old ad. By the time I ordered – it was serious growth that was sent to me, so it was already in its second iteration or third yeah. iteration. Yeah. What was yeah, the did, What uh, was the initial feedback like? For example, did you train a bunch of people in your gym before coming out with the manual? Did you train yourself for a while and get the programs everything, Yeah, everything that I, that we uh, produced, I've done firsthand, and right. so I I tested it. I you know I, I knew that program, and then I put a few people on there because you know the thing about that is. You know, this is not for the the weak hearted when you this kind of a program. Oh, yeah. So you just can't say, "Hey, you want to come try this?" I mean, it was a tough program, <laughs> but no, I, I I put myself to the paces and my partner and I, and we did this meticulously to make sure that we had this thing all timed out. And and uh, oh yeah, I tried that baby before we ever put that thing out. But you know, the uh, like I said, the we got a lot of um, a lot of a lot of feedback and. But it was mainly good. It was just hard to, for most people to understand that just that concept at that point, you know, 30 years yeah. ago, I guess, by now. I mean, my guess is the people it didn't work for were probably people that didn't trust the program and just made modifications here and there. Maybe they did more oh, yeah. than they should have done. Yeah. Maybe their nutrition that's, wasn't on point. Yeah. And you know something, that's usually what happens. Uh, and even like now, I have, I've had personal training studios for almost 40 years. And, you know, there's three components that you, you need to manipulate in order to get the best effect. And it doesn't, it's not any different when you're trained as a bodybuilder. That's weight training, cardio, and nutrition. Those are the three components. They apply across the board. And when you take a look at, like, even people in my studio, uh, or people that are on a program, they're usually the reason that they're not getting the results they want is because they're not being really effective in those three areas. There's always one thing that's lacking, and, you know, they don't realize that, you know, leaving one of those things out, especially when you're training at a very high level, it, it has a big effect on your results, you know? Yeah. And, and, and they just don't want to – sometimes they just don't want to face that fact. And I can tell you this. I would tell you that the probably – Quite a few of the manuals. We sold a lot of these things, but I would say that quite a few of our manuals ended up on somebody's shelf. Um, they, they liked the idea of it. They started it. I mean, they liked it enough to where they didn't send it back to us. Yeah. And, but there's that small. We had that small niche market, like people like yourself, that were when they were locked in. Hey, we've had. You know, we still have people that are reaching out to us and asking when we're going to do something different again. You know, so we had that. Hot market, and I tell you something. Our the ad people that wrote Jay Abraham, he wrote our first uh, direct mail piece, and he said if you you get this thing with a niche market, it'd be like a cult following, and that's exactly oh, yeah. what. It's, I mean, thirty years later, we're still 
You know, and we haven't been out with anything for quite a while. We're, we're working on some oh, yeah. stuff again, but uh, but yeah, it was uh, uh, definitely a, a, a niche group, you know, that stuck with us. I noticed it changed over time where, like you said, initially it was three workouts, and it, it, that wasn't the only option. I believe there was a two workouts a day option and a one workout a day option six times a week. Yeah. And then the next iteration, yeah. there was some more modifications where you could work out once a day, four times a week. Did you yeah. find that yeah. people got just as good results with less frequency, or was that just trying to find that happy medium? You're going, okay, not everyone's going to work out six days a week, so maybe this is not going to be as effective as that, but it's, it's going to be more effective than what a lot of people are doing already. That's the answer right there, the second uh, the answer yeah. right there. Yeah, we just made it more. It's kind of like what happened. Paul Flats told me one time, and I think this is kind of what we did with our, with our training program because, you know, trying to reach the masses. When you went, when you went into going back to Tom's, uh, what I'm talking about, Tom's story, he said uh -huh. back in the old days, he said when you went into Gold's Gym or these gyms, he said the equipment was actually made better than it is now. He said the way they've... They've changed the angles of all this equipment. It's just to make it more commercial to get more people into the gyms. But as far as in terms of the effectiveness of it, it's still effective, but it's not as effective as the way that it, the equipment used to be made. Now, he, one of the things that he cited was the, the hack squat and the leg press. He said those things are at such a, an angle that, it, you know, anybody can do a leg press now. And right. so with with us, you know, the we knew from the Bulgarians that said, if you want to get more results, you have to aggravate and stimulate the muscle more times to get it to respond. The the key there, they said always was just not to overtrain that. And they said you it's virtually impossible to overtrain in the time that we're we were talking about thirty to forty five minutes and in fact they said, Look, in fact you can actually your body is actually recovered within three to five hours as long as you follow that that 30 to 45 minute uh, sort of rule that they, they have for us. And they were right. Um, you know, you could recover. It's, it's, so it was, it was all based on not overtraining, and it was virtually impossible to overtrain in 30 minutes or 40 minutes. So you could train every few hours, and it was fine. I used to do I used to train uh, NFL and Major League Baseball players on that program because they'd come to me in the offseason, and I had them for about eight weeks, uh, the most, six weeks. So I would I would put them on that uh, Bulgarian burst, and you know again I got a lot of uh, when, when you're dealing with pros like that, I mean, they look at you sideways. It's like what the hell are you doing, <laughs> you know? But but they saw the results because then they realized oh yeah we're not overtrained and it actually you know they got a lot more results. So to answer your question, those those different um, you know uh, manuals that we came out was just to get a little more more people on board, still get the results. But I, th I still think that the best, uh, in terms of result, was a Bulgarian burst. Yeah, yeah. Now, with these pro athletes you were working with, eight weeks is not a lot of time, so it makes sense. Were you putting them on two workouts a day, three workouts a day? Oh, yeah. They were doing three times a day. I said, absolutely. And I, I, I just, you know, I, I'd cut their, their workout down to like 20 to 30 minutes. And I'd blow them up in that amount of time and then, then go Go recover, and I'd bring my kids three times, morning, noon, and night. I did the Bulgarian burst of these guys. And would nutrition be scheduled around the post-workout window? So, for example, if they're working out in the morning, they have some post-workout nutrition, rest for a few yeah. hours, they come back, same thing? Exactly. Yeah, pre- and post-workout, you know, the stuff that gets into the cell real quick. Uh, yeah, we did all that that uh, kind of stuff to, to make sure that we were, you know, we're definitely recovering, yeah. 
Yeah, massage was another big component of what the Bulgarians did. Didn't they get a massage after each workout? Not necessarily oh, yeah. an hour-long massage, but just some no, kind of massage after each workout. Well, yeah, these guys would actually, uh, yeah, I watched them. They were, they massage each other. They knew how to do this kind of stuff. You know, they played ping pong, and they, <laughs> uh, you you'd see them like one guy would be massaging the other guy, and they, that's what they did. You know? Well, that that, that, that part did, that part didn't take off, right? You didn't see a lot of guys massaging each other. Right? No, no. <laughs> hey man, just, my traps my traps are tight. Can you give me a massage? Well, my dude, my glutes are are yeah, fire right I, now. Yeah. No, no, I'm gonna pass on that one. Yeah, it was just a, you know, of course, over there, you know, you do when you're in Rome, you do what the Romans do, and that's just how they did that. You know, it's no big deal to them. I didn't have the money to get massages regularly back then. I was in college, but it was one of those things that I filed away in the back of my head. I could, you know, I'd love to do an experiment at some point when I have more cash where I can get a massage maybe once a week. And I've been doing that for a couple of years now. I go to a really good therapist here in Vegas where I live. That makes a huge difference just once a week. I've always oh, wanted sure. to do an experiment where I do it after each workout, but that I, I, I just can't manage. I just can't imagine myself sustaining that. But I would, I would be curious to see what difference it makes. If you got a massage, I say you worked out six days a week. Maybe you got a 20, 30 minute massage after each workout. Just work getting some circulation in there, getting rid of some of that inflammation. I think it would, and I'll tell you why. I think that is because this is, you know, after what happened to me with uh, these strokes, you know, your body, when you have something like this happen to you, it becomes completely inflamed, especially mm. like mine was ischemic, so my brain. So one of the things that I did, I went looking for non-traditional uh, type therapy, and this is, I'm, I'm going to answer your question uh, why I think that you're right about doing the massage because one of the things that I did to pull inflammation out of my body is I did IV therapy. I took amino acids, I took glutathione, and right. um, and you know alpha lipoic you know, acid, right? I saw one of your lectures where you were talking about that. You had glutathione, yeah. and alpha lipoic acid, and alpha lipoic acid, IV. vitamin C. Yeah. Absolutely, mm -hmm. and I'm going to tell you something. That because of the fact that, that gets right into the cell, I felt the recovery. I felt, I felt that every single time, uh, Mike, when I did an IV, it was apparent, you know. Um, so I, you know, you might not get that very same feeling from doing a right. massage. I don't know, but I tell you what, the IV therapy was something that, and all it did, what did it do? It pulled inflammation out of the body, and that's all you're talking right. about is pulling inflammation right. and, and the speeds recovery. So I think it would work. Yeah, we can we can pivot into that. You wrote your latest book is Three Strokes in Three Days, or three or three, you survived three had, strokes. Three strokes in three weeks. Um, okay, that that makes more yeah. sense. Three strokes in three days. I knew I yeah. knew you went through a lot, but that, yeah, that yeah. sounds a little yeah, that's, that's pretty serious. <laughs> yeah, and there was uh, I had two back to back. I of course you know I mean when it, when something like that happens to you. I mean, for me, listen, I've been an athlete all my life, and when it happened to me, I was training clients at one of my, uh, I had two studios going at that time, and when that thing hit me, I mean, the, the, I would have never guessed that it was a stroke, you know? I mean, it was really, it was one of those kinds of things where, you know, you know you've had, we've had stuff that in your life, it's like, oh, you know, you know something's not right, you know? I mean, I knew something hit me. That would just came to my body, like it just, yeah. so, it just I thought, what the heck was that? And then when I really noticed you know, things starting to go haywire is when I, I had my foot up on the bench while I was trying to help one of my clients. I, when I went to put my foot down on the ground, I couldn't find the ground with my foot. So that was mm. an odd feeling. And then it was just like a domino effect. It started from the my my feet, 
and then just moved up my body. It was like a wave. It was like dominoes falling. And I started losing function in my hand. I couldn't grab the, the bar and then my speech. But I still didn't think anything about that. I just thought, well, I just, I'm going to sit this thing out for a little bit. You know, the athletic side of me just kicked in. And that yeah. can be good and bad. You know, you, right. the, the athlete has the, we have warrior mindset sometimes, but it can hurt you. And I just set that thing out at the gym and, you know, I, tra- I finished training my client. And then I thought, you know, this thing is not going away. I drove home, which I probably shouldn't have. I drove right by the hospital. I just, I drove home from where I was at. I drove home 15 minutes, uh, 15, took me 15 minutes to get home. And by the time I got into the garage, I mean, I could hardly see. Um, and I opened the door and I fell in, into my actual house and my, and my wife had dragged me. I mean, it was a mess. Mm. And, uh, and I still, I mean, with all that that was going on, I still didn't want to go to the hospital. And if it wasn't for my, my wife just decided to call my kids because I'm stubborn that way. She goes, well, let me call the ambulance. I said, no, you know, got to hardly talk. <laughs> See, I said, no, I'll be all right. But, uh, <laughs> My my oldest one came over and they got me in a, in the old ambulance and because of the fact that I got to the hospital within four hours, I was eligible for a that um, they call a TPA. It's a um, clot busting medication that they give you. Um, but I'll tell you something. It, it's really crazy because you're kind of put on the spot. And they said, look, we can give you this um, this clot busting medication, but there's a side effect that if it works. In two and a half days, you're going to walk out of this hospital like nothing ever happened, uh, or it's going to kill you because you're going to bleed out. I mean, wow, you know, you're faced with that, <laughs> just like that. <clears throat> but I, wow. you know, I, but I, it was easy for me at that point, and it, it was probably better that I didn't think about it. I didn't want to be paralyzed. I was paralyzed on my right, right. side from head to toe, and mm. my son was there. I kind of felt bad for him, and I said, "Look, just sign the paper. I can't sign it." And I don't want to live like this. So they gave me that medication, and uh, unbelievably, in two and a half days, just like the doctor said, I left that hospital with no ill effects. It was amazing. Um, why, why, why would but, someone die from it? Did they give you an explanation? Because you bleed out. Oh, okay. If you have like, yeah, right. yeah. If you have like a, like a pulled muscle, for example, and it hadn't healed all the way, that could potentially make you bleed out. Okay. You know, so that's, yeah. But for me at that point, I just said, just give it to me. And then I just, you know, took the chance. And it was amazing. And here's the crazy thing about that. You know, I'm, I'm laying in a hospital. And, the, you know, when this happened, the first the first two happened before I took, or after I took this TPM. I had to be there for a couple of days. And I, did, I went through all kinds of tests, MRIs and all that. They went, did every kind of test you could possibly think of. And I told them that, because they asked me, I mean, I'm a bodybuilder when I went in. I was about, I was about six or eight weeks from a show because I'd come back after a 13-year layoff. And I was, I, I just wanted to see if, in fact, that I could get myself back to when I was in my 40s, you know. So I had this, I, again, I tried my own experiment to see uh, how much muscle memory I really had. And um, remarkably, I was, my, I probably needed one more year to get back. I was leaner. But anyway, so the point is, I'm in the hospital, and I, I was really upfront with the doctor. You know, I said, he asked me, are you taking steroids? I said, well, I do, but right now I'm, I'm off. You know, I, I'm cycling off. And and they took all these tests on me, and the doctors came back, and they said, there's nothing wrong with you. You shouldn't be in here. And yet there I was. Mm-hmm. You know, my heart was fine. My liver was fine. There was absolutely no 
effects from any steroids, and I'm not condoning uh, the usage of it. I'm just simply yeah. telling you what the doctor uh, tells me, you know. So no, no high blood all, pressure, anything like that? No. I, listen, we all knew that in my whole season I was up to 300 pounds. I always yeah. knew that when I when I got up to that weight and I was uh, on the you know taking some enhancements, my blood pressure went up. We we knew that we were playing with a certain amount of fire, but right. I would have never thought that something like that would have uh, happened, you know. But when they right. told me that I shouldn't be there, I mean that was almost worse news uh, because I'm thinking, okay, what uh, what the hell, you know? But anyway, that so the doctors told me at that point they said, Leo, we recommend that you uh, go home. And you, you just don't realize how assaulted that your body and your brain has been. I mean, this is traumatic. You just don't realize that. And we suggest that you, first of all, you don't bodybuild anymore and that you stay at home four to six weeks before you go back to the gym. When he told me that, I mean, I could live with the fact that, uh, you know, not competing again because I had, I had had my day. I could live with that. But for me to be out of the gym for four to six weeks, I nodded my head, okay, but I knew that I was going to go back sooner because I thought he's, he must be talking to like an average guy, not right. me, you know? <laughs> so th the following week I went home for uh, one week and I went back to the gym. I felt fine. I said, I'm just going to cut this baby all the work. Just going to go. And like Tom Platt used to say, I'm just going to be a, an old guy having a good time in my gym here. Cause I have my own studio. <laughs> and yeah. I came in and I mean, compared to what I was doing, I was doing nothing. I just wanted to, at that point, I just wanted to get back to, normal again. This thing shocked me, man. It rocked me. And uh, so I came back to the gym and I did very light training, maybe 15 minutes of, of cardio, but really easy, easy training, you know, high reps, nothing, two or three sets, just to be careful. And on the third week, unbelievably, the very same thing happened to me. I could feel it coming. And now I knew what was going on because it was a, a repeat of what happened three weeks before. And uh, and, and the same thing. I I was training a client, and I told my my uh, my client, I said, I'm having my third stroke. I'll see you later. I'll get back to you. And it was one of those things where I drove myself to the hospital again, and I I parked perfectly. I walked up to the window, and I knocked on it in an emergency. I said, I'm having my third stroke as we speak. I went back there, filled out some paperwork, and that was it. I couldn't get out of the chair. The difference is, on the third one, it's because of the fact that they just gave me the CPA, I couldn't, I wasn't eligible to take it again. I had, I had to rehab this thing the hard way, and that's when everything changed. But yeah, man, it's <laughs> yeah, it was. Bro, uh, what, is that, what does that, what does that even feel like, though, man? Just to sit there, like you're that functional, where it's like, okay, I'm having a, another stroke, but you're still able to park correctly. You, you're able to fill yeah. out paperwork, which right there, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's already stressful as it is or whatever it is. Because you know, yeah. the thing is, you need to get stuff taken care of, but you're like, no, well, sir, I need you to fill this out. Like, did you hear me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you get some paperwork done first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I tell you something, that really, you know, that because that changed my whole thinking. It was like, okay, the doctor, you know, sometimes I think the doctors take a very conservative approach, which is okay. And, but I'll tell you what, that got my attention for sure. And, uh, at that point, it, you know, I made sure that I went home and I, I stayed there for four to six weeks. And that was when my, I really learned a lot about really what the body can do. It's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were actually paralyzed on one side. Your speech was yep. affected. 
What yep. was the rehab process? I remember in one of your lectures, you said it was harder than any of the workouts you'd ever done. Any of the training yeah. you'd ever done didn't compare. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the, uh, you know, I've, you know, 20 years of or so of training, I never had a hernia and I got a hernia from rehabbing my paralyzed body with no weight. Hmm. Just trying to, trying to move my body. And listen, I, and this is where the Bulgarians again impacted me because, you know, I, I have to tell you something. It's a very odd feeling. Uh, when you're in bed, uh, I woke up in one morning. This is right after I came back home from the hospital, and I was all jacked up now. And I woke up in bed, and I didn't know where my limbs were on my right side. It's the oddest feeling when you don't know where your body is in space, especially for someone who is all about knowing where my body was in space. It was yeah. just like a, a complete you know, departure from all that. And at that point, I have to tell you, I mean, it was a, a come-to-Jesus moment, you might say. You know, I was at a crossroads. Yeah. And but I, what I did is I, I, I took what the Bulgarians said, and I applied it. Even though I couldn't move, I, I dragged myself. I, I could walk a little bit, but I was dragging. I had my wife take me into the front room there, and I sat on one of the benches there. And I just said, sit next to me. Because the Bulgarians, they said that, look, it takes about 21 days uh, before you start. Um, you'll notice a, a response from the kind of training that you're doing prior to that, you know, for that prior to the three-week mark. Well, every 21 days, you should get a response. So what I did, as I took that very same approach, I had my wife hold my arm uh, that I couldn't move, and I just said, just move it like you're doing a curl. And she started doing that. I, I couldn't move it at all. And I just watched her do that. I, my idea was repetition is the mother of skill. My brain and my eyes are going to watch her do that. And I'm, I'm not kidding you. At about the 21-day mark, it was right close to that. I woke up, and I knew that day that I could move my arm. And I, nothing had happened up to that point. I mean, the best way for me to describe this is when I was looking at my paralyzed arm trying to move it, although she was moving it, it almost was like, I could feel um, a connection going down the right side of my arm, but it wasn't reaching all the way down to where I could actually fully connect to it, if that makes sense. It was yeah. like a, a delay, you know? But right. I kept, I just kept doing that rep. Every every time, every morning, I'd go in and we'd do eight to ten reps. I'd do three sets, and that was it. That all I did, because when you're like that, you talk about overtraining. You're so, it doesn't take much for you to overtrain or overwhelm your physiology. Doing three sets of ten, I was wiped out. You know, but I have to tell you on the, on that, around the three week mark, I knew that I could move my arm and I'm going to tell you something. I did. I did one rep and I knew at that point, because my physiology was now responding in a normal fashion based on what I learned from the Bulgarians. I knew at that point, all I had to do was a boatload of repetitions to get myself back. I knew that. Right. And sure enough. That's exactly what I did. I, I, all I did was use those very same techniques in conjunction with what I had learned from bodybuilding, you know, knowing how to connect the mind to the muscle. That is, that, all that stuff is real. And yet, before all this happened, we just, you know, when somebody said to connect the mind to the muscle, it was like blind faith. You just did it. But I didn't really know that that actually happened until I, until I stroked out and I didn't have any connection with the right side of my body. So to get it all back, I can tell you that is real stuff. That actually does work. 
it was amazing. And it was amazing how the body came back. But I have to say something. You know, the the people that are, there's only 10% of us that make an almost 100% recovery. And there's a reason why for that. It's the hardest damn thing you'll ever do is to recover from one of these things, as far as I'm concerned. Right. And it, and it takes a long, long time to get results. And and this is where bodybuilding now stepped in and, and saved me because, you know, to create a, a physique that's worth, you know, competing at a high level, it takes a lot of years. I mean, you know, 10, 10 years to get really, really, really good. And, and so I was used to that. I was used to the suffer fest to get my body to change. I just took it as another challenge, you know, right. like bodybuilding. So when you go down the road and wonder why people aren't making recovery, a certain amount of that is because people don't have the mindset for this thing. They don't have the heart for this yeah. because it's they awful. I mean, it took, yeah, they give up. It took me two years, just to give you an idea. I had, a, I had a, uh, It took me two years. Every day, I, I put a fork in my hand. I even wrapped my hand with my fork. It took me two years to get my fork from the plate to my mouth. Mm. Two years. Oh, I mean, who's going to do that unless you're insane, a bodybuilder? Unless you have that, you know, really, because we're, you know, I was up for the for the challenge, and there, and there were a few times where, you know, it was, I don't know, I never been that frustrated in my life. I think, and, I think the alternative though is not to take yeah. away from all the effort you put in, but I think probably in your mind the alternative was more depressing, not getting that function oh, yeah. back. You know, what if you don't? If, like two years is a yeah, long time, but two years well, and you get it back, you put a lot better than. Yeah, 20 years you don't. Yeah, exactly. And here's the cool thing. You know, because of the fact that I really did start rehabbing when I went home, I just didn't rehab with, with weights. I just did body through space stuff, body balancing, you know, because you your balance is shot to hell. And so I just did all body through space, no resistance training in the beginning. And, uh, you know, the the because of the fact that I started so early, I have to tell you guys something. I am still recovering. Most people don't even know that I've got any kind of, uh, all my motor skills are back. Yeah. But the very fine motor skills, like in my, in my fingers, those are still happening for me. And I'm training. I'm doing everything I did before. You know, I'm back in the gym. I have been for now for many years. I just took those six months, uh, six weeks off, like the doctor, uh, four months. I took four months off. I'm sorry. Four to six months off before I came back to the gym. Uh, but I, I do everything that I could do before. But there's just some things in my fingers that nobody else would notice. Uh, that are, are, I'm still recovering. That's the good news because what what the doctors are telling some of their their because yeah, I went to these stroke survivor uh, groups because I wanted to find out why people weren't recovering any better. And well, they get not only do they not have the mindset for this thing, the information that's out there is very fractured, kind of like what. What, what the uh, training was years ago when I started. You know, all we did is for the Bulgarian burst and the serious stroke, we put all this into a formula. And these people that are out there that aren't recovering from their strokes, they don't really know what the heck to do because they, they don't have all the information at hand. Um, you know, so that was part of the problem. And, but, but the, you know, so, you know, I just realized that, that uh, you know, it, that and the insurance People get cut off from insurance a little bit too soon. There's some reasons why people weren't recovering, you know. But uh, yeah, it's been a, a real interesting thing. But I'm, I'm, all my motor skills, everything's back, and I'm still recovering. And that's the good news. I was going to say, doctors tell some of these people, these stroke support groups, they said, look, after about eight months to a year, uh, that's as good as it's going to get. 
And you know, when you get that kind of information, a stroke survivor, especially one that's not an athlete, it kills them. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, they give up. And why? They why, why are they even? Yeah. Why are they even saying that? Because that's such an absolute statement, right? They don't know that. Well, I tell you what. I, I, I can tell you why. You know, the thing about it is, is when I went to my cardiologist, because I went to him after a few months, when I went to my cardiologist and he saw how, how already recovered I was after uh, a few months, he asked me, how, how did you get back like this? I thought that was an interesting question. You know, <laughs> why is it that he's asking me how I got back? And it was right. even more, what was even more startling <laughs> to me was when I told him, because I did all this, you know, bodybuilders are, were enthusiastic. We look for ways to grow muscle, anything that we can do to put on some muscle. Well, I just went out with that same approach, and I went looking for other things that I could do besides the mainstream stuff, IV therapy. Um, I did uh, a light therapy. I had to put, I put these glasses on that were, had a strobe, and they had a certain cadence. So the whole idea behind that was to take inflammation out of the body. IV therapy, eye light therapy, music therapy, oxygen therapy. And the doctors, they either discount it. I'm not knocking them, but they either discount it or they don't really know about this stuff, which was frightening to me, you know, because that also was a, a, a part of why I got myself back. So I think what's happening is that there's just the information out there is just not where it needs to be in a nutshell. Yeah, and then a lot of these doctors like to make these statements, like what you experienced, though, where – my brother had a really bad paragliding accident where he, he almost, his foot almost had to be amputated. At least that's what one doctor told him. And then I remember when he was out of discharge from the hospital and we're looking for a specialist to get him fixed up. We were just going from doctor to doctor and I was taking him around. And a lot of the doctors would come in and they would take a quick look and they'd be like, God, oh, this is not going to work out well for you. I've seen many injuries like this and it's, and it's, it, it doesn't end well. And I'm like, why are you saying that? You don't know that. And I remember his girlfriend was in the room with us one time, and she just started crying because yeah. this guy was so dramatic about what he was saying. Yeah. And then I basically had to tell him afterwards, I'm like, don't listen to that guy. He's not even in – He's let's go find someone better. And eventually we found yeah. a doctor who was a specialist in this. He walked in the room, pure confidence. Like right away you, you felt better about this option just from the right. way this guy walked in the room. He took one look at my brother's leg, and he goes, yeah, I know exactly what to do. You're going to need a fixator. We'll do this surgery. We'll do this, and then you're going to have to do this rehab. I'm like, this is the guy. This is the guy yeah. we're going to go with. And long story short, he did make a full rehab, but it, it parallels to your story because there was a lot of rehab he had to do, which he fully committed himself to. And now yeah. it looks like he's never had an injury. He doesn't walk with the lamp, nothing. He's fine. Yeah. But a lot of people oh, yeah. in similar situations to him didn't get the recovery he made. And large percentage of them is because they didn't want to put in the effort that it exactly. took to get that full rehab. Yeah. Well, you know, when I go up and down the, at, at first, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I was very irritated by the fact that insurance companies were cutting people off too soon because they have a standard level of care. And if they fall into that, they, they cut them loose whether they're 100% recovered or not and tell them to go get a script from their doctor. Well, they're going to fail in that environment to begin with, you know, and I kind of blame that a little bit and the fact that they didn't have all the information. But the truth of the matter is, as I go down the road, I put this onus on, I tell the people, I said, look, it doesn't matter that you don't know what to do when something like this happens to you, stroke survivor, but you have to be responsible for your own own recovery, and you have to ask questions even if you don't know what the hell to ask, right. you know, because right. you are a big part of that process. But you're right. I mean, when somebody tells you that you can, you know, I, I think it's the Bulgarian man told me, they said uh, something like, you know, one of the most powerful things in the world is thought. 
And if you can harness that, and that's what your brother did, and that's what guys like me did too. We harness that, and we and we use our power of thought to get us through because it takes everything, you know, and it takes a lot of determination and desire and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, real interesting what's out there and what you can overcome when you put your mind to it. I mean, that it's kind of an old saying, but a lot of this is true. I think uh, one of the things also is that sometimes as a patient, you're you're worthless in the situation, at least initially, because you're just out of it, right? You're in there, yep. and all this information's being thrown at you. You have to have an advocate. Yeah. I know your wife. I know your wife helped you out a lot in one yeah. of your lectures. You yeah. talked about that because sometimes you're in the hospital. Like when my my father helped my brother, and I helped him because a lot of times you're in the hospital, and he's all drugged up, and he's he's out sure. of it from this accident, and they're giving him all this information, and his his eyes are rolling. Right. And you really yeah. have to be there and take it in and a lot of times make these decisions as well for the person or help them be more informed. So I think that's one of the other problems, too, is people are totally they've, they've never had a stroke before. And now they've had a stroke. They have to deal with the situation. They're just being bombarded with voices from all angles. Yeah. And I tell people the caregivers, because oftentimes the caregivers are the husband or the wife, you know, girlfriend. And I say, look, this is actually to your point. I said, you've got to think of yourself as like a training partner. You know, when I was doing my training, I always had training partners. And a training partner can either motivate you to get that those extra two or three reps, or they can enable you. And that's why I tell people when they're when they're being a caregiver, because especially when it's a wife or a husband, they're too close almost, uh, and they become an yeah. enabler. My wife, as much as she helped right. me, there were right. there were times that she was that she was trying to help me too much. You know, because mm. it was part of my rehab. One of the things I I you know this rehab rehab for me was everywhere. I've created rehab, opening doors, opening cupboards, you know, twisting tops on, on toothpaste. And, you know, if, if she wasn't careful, it was out of a good intention, you know, so they can, you know, so you're right. You know, they needed the strokes people. They need a partner, you know. And then the, the, really the flip is, side to what you're saying is sometimes people get into that. You know, they actually like being taken care of like that. So that impedes right. their progress as well. It's like, I don't have to do anything. She'll do it for me. Right? Exactly. They just get used to that. Exactly. So interesting. Yeah, that's and so this this book came out a couple of years ago. This is it seems like this is your big focus right now. You're doing a lot of lectures at different hospitals. You're talking to different people. What what has been the response to your story and you're getting the word out? Well, the thing about that is, is people I can see I can see the light come back on. You know, with a lot of these people uh, because I'm living proof of this. You know, so I, I you know that's always very encouraging and. And I've got people that, that are coming in now to my studios, and and they're I'm working with stroke survivors in here. And I, I take a, a different approach, you know, because I tell people, I say, when you come in here, you're not a victim anymore. You know, get that out of your head. I'm going to get you back up. I'm going to get you back up to, you know, to the way you were before. You don't know how far you're going to recover. Nobody knows that. But, you know, you're not going to come in and have any other kind of mindset other than a warrior mindset. It's changing the mindset. Of, of, of you know these people because some are still feeling sorry for themselves, some are overwhelmed. But you know what? The thing is, is I had a guy that came in here that had been in a chair for quite some time. I had him walking within four weeks, wow. and he, he was shocked. You know, and and that's kind of just been the mindset. I've come from a an athletic mindset, and then obviously I have to tailor the the training down to what they can do. But I, you know, it's like anything else. You've got to. You have to push yourself into that zone where it's not comfortable all the time. 
And that's not always easy to do. Again, another lesson that I learned from bodybuilding. You know, we had to, you know, you had to walk in fire, as Tom Platt used to say, every time you went to the gym. You know, so yeah, my my focus is on is is really on the prevention and the recovery of all this kind of stuff. You know, because if you can prevent it, obviously. And this is where I came up with this uh, Automatic Diet Plus. It's an app, and it's basically it is it works on different platforms. It, it the app revolves around the three training components. It's nothing more than an extension of my the training that I've done. So it really applies to everyone because it's it's focusing on those uh, three components that are responsible for change. And if you're that person that needs to be put on a certain type of diet or a certain type of training, this app does that. And what's beautiful about this thing is that, uh, and, you know, I set this up based on what I learned from my bodybuilding, is, is it, it works in conjunction with your, your body's natural physiology. It changes at certain times automatically. This is why I call it Automatic Diet Plus. So all the client needs to do is is follow the program and seamlessly this thing changes uh, every you know few weeks based on what their goals are. I mean, the app is virtually intuitive. And I already know where people are going to be if they're trying to reach a certain goal. I already know that because it's, it's all based on numbers and a formula. So I, I'm not doing anything really that I didn't do back in the old days with the bodybuilding because all we did is put everything into a formula. We had it timed out. We knew when you were going to hit a plateau. We knew when to hyper-accelerate you. I'm doing nothing more than that uh, with this app. And it's just a good way for uh, for those people to, you know, it's the next best thing to having a coach and a trainer in your pocket because we have unbelievable back-end support. We're, we're right there with you every step of the way. I use it as a tool for... Um, for managing personal trainers, um, client bases. You know, some of these trainers are, are real versed at uh, what to do with, with people with cardio and nutrition. So this app basically is so scalable that it can fill voids and make you more efficient as a as a client who wants to drop weight or improve overall health or the, the doctor who's trying to manage a patient load. It, it works on these various in these various platforms, but it's all revolving around the same components, if that makes sense. Yeah. And people can get this at the Apple Store. Where do people buy this app? Right now, you have to go to, to uh, automaticdietplus.com, uh, and you'll find us there. And uh, we're just, like I said, this thing is like, it's fluid. We're, you know, we, we've got the website up, and we've got people all over the country that are using it, but you have to go right now uh, to that website, Automatic Diet Plus. And you'll see uh, what we're all about. Oh, very cool. Well, hey, we know you got to go soon. Just w- one final question. I know you mentioned Tom Platt's quite a bit, and I've been watching a lot of Tom's clips because I'm doing the small off the Russian powerlifting squat program. Uh-huh. So I've just been looking at different people's techniques, and I knew I knew he was a squat maniac. But when he talks about the squat, you want to talk about inspiration for getting fired up for your workout. I mean, for him, he looked at it at his, as his church, you know, where he yeah. goes to better himself. Oh, yeah. I mean, he gets, he gets yeah. really deep into it, yeah. and you can see why his legs look the way. I mean, even now in his yeah. 60s, he still squats 315 for 15 reps anytime he wants. That's and to see him in person, man. I mean, because, I mean, I trained with him when I got my certification with ISSA. At the time, he was one of the, one of the instructors at the time. So he came out to Austin mm-hmm. and trained us. And so to actually see him in person, you know, somebody you've been reading about all this time, and yeah. there he is. And you sit down and just talk shop with him. And then actually just see him actually – 
do his technique live right there in front of you. It's like, wow, man. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> those dudes are serious. Him, Fred, Hatfield, all those guys, man, they were serious oh, yeah. when it came to squat. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Uh, yeah. I'm just curious what influence he had. Uh, yeah, I'm just curious what influence he had on, on your training modalities. He, he basically took me to that next level as far as the intuitive side. Um, because I, I was at that, I, kind of at the, um, we're trying to get to the regional, get out of the regional level of competing, you know, and I, I went to him and this is when I hooked up with him and I said, man, I, I, you know, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. I mean, you tell me to run into the wall, I'll do it. And I put my hands in Tom, Tom Platt's, uh, you know, and he was scary and we trained together for my, when I went to the national level and I have to tell you yeah. something, man, I was, I was basically at that point living uh, down there at Marie Del Rey is a little hotel down there that was very close to Gold's Gym. And Tom uh, and I trained yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, he really brought the intuitive side of this thing. Um, and, you know, he took me to the next level. He got me in the kind of shape that I, I had to enlist somebody like him who really knew his stuff. Tom was very methodical. And, and I, I have to tell you, maybe, you know, you can realize that if you work, if you train with him, Tom Platts would flip a switch when he went to the gym, and he was scary. And uh, but it, that's what it took to get, you know, the kind of shape that he got himself into, and eventually got me into. And uh, I learned yeah. a lot from him you know, because of that. You're not going to squat 522 times without oh. flipping that switch, <laughs> you know? Because well, I mean, you he's, know, he's, he's, not, guy, he's not doing. He's not doing these half reps that we see a lot of kids doing at no. the gym. He was doing right. about as deep as you can go for 20 yeah. reps, and there were no safety bars there, nothing. No, no. And I think he wanted to uh, – at one time he took 135, and he wanted to see how long he could squat for. I think he said he squatted for 15 yeah. minutes and he passed out. Yeah, yeah Some right. crazy thing that's like right. that. I mean, that's top flats <laughs> right there. You know? But it seemed like the squat was his – exercise right that's oh, the yeah. one that he excelled at that's the one he got the most out of and he said that it, it made him a better businessman it made it just carried yeah. over to so many other areas just like what you're talking about with how training helped you with recovering yeah. from the stroke so Absolutely. i mean i remember i was no question i was watching one of his classes before one of my work and this this program is pretty intense so i was like all right i gotta do another one of these days and after i watched his clip just talking about the squat i couldn't wait <laughs> to get to the gym <laughs> exactly. it just, it just no. made me look no. at it totally differently i was like wow i like the way this guy thinks about it i'm gonna well, think about it that way and not, not only that <laughs> the way tom tom explains things it's like you know you gotta take the squat mm -hmm. you gotta taste it you gotta look at it you gotta smell it i mean he put, <laughs> right. this, thing, he put this thing in, in a way that you go like, yeah let's go man let's go now <laughs> funny that's funny well, that's great. Well, hey, man, pleasure talking to you. Been a big fan for a long time, so it was really nice to have you on. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on. I really appreciate that. And uh, anytime you guys want to do something else, just let me know. Yeah, that'd be Good. great. And just one, just any other website you want to plug? Anything else you want to put out there? No, just go to Plus. That's kind of uh, it in a nutshell for me now, and that just encompasses everything kind of that I'm doing right now. Sounds great. Well, thanks All again. Right. All right. Really nice talking to you. You take care. Okay, guys. Take Talk care. soon. Bye. Yeah, so that's Leo Costa. That's, you know, when we started doing the show, that was one of the guys I had written down of ideal guests. What was interesting is it was actually hard to find him online because he doesn't do yeah. Twitter or Facebook. I was like, yeah, where is this guy? I, was, I know. I was looking. I was like, um, I was like, is this dude on the witness protection program? He should have been. Like, come on. Man. He sure wasn't a ghostwriter by that name, and that's not his real name. 
No, I, I noticed he had a Facebook page, but he's never on it, right? It was just his information. So I just that's how I eventually got in touch with him. I just went on there and said, hey, I'd love to have this guy on a show I do with a buddy of mine. Please reach out to, to me. Whom, to whom it may <laughs> Yeah, yeah, basically it was one of those. And I didn't expect, you know, who knows if, it, who knows if anyone's going to see that. And his assistant did right. get back to me pretty fast, and that's how the whole thing lined up. So basically, this guy's busy. He's not dicking around online is what's going on. He's out there giving lectures right. all over the country. He's training clients. He's coming up with these apps. Still extremely active. I didn't know that much about all of this, that he had a stroke, and then he recovered from a stroke, and he wrote a book on it. That was all new to me as well, because the last time I thought about him was when he was putting out this training information. So yeah. that that opened up another vortex of information. I was like, wow, this is interesting. Yeah, Especially three within three weeks is like whoa, <laughs> like, yeah. And you're still and you're still functioning, you know. Yeah. Some people had like people had like a, a, a light stroke who were not functioning right. very well, you know. Right. It wasn't even a full on stroke, you know. So that's that's amazing. Well, it's probably a good episode for Andrew Durney to listen to because he's doing three marathons in three days. So there's a high <laughs> probability he might have at least one stroke, right? In those three days. <laughs> I don't know. No, that but I think, he's a, he's a, Andrew's a mutant. That's not even going to happen. He's, oh, he doesn't have he doesn't have these humanly problems that we have. Okay, he's, pro he's probably had a stroke before and just waved it off. It's like I don't he know. Probably like, so I'm just going like, to keep going. Right. I'm having a stroke. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right. keep moving. <laughs> you know, I don't care. forget your feelings, man. We don't have time for feelings. <laughs> Yeah, I like what you said. It doesn't matter how the program, you know, it doesn't matter how you feel about the program. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I was like, yeah, you're calling, man. You should have been in the military. That was very Mad Dog Mattis of you right there, Andrew. <laughs> well, that's the other thing about Leo Costa. He actually designed a training. I didn't get a chance to ask him about this, but he actually had a, a separate manual. It was a bonus manual, and it was a training system that he put together for Navy SEALs based on these principles. And it was a really interesting program because it actually had time sets. And I never, the only time I ever heard of that was with kettlebells, of course. Right, and that was right. way later. But back then, he even that was incorporated in his program where you would do dumbbell overhead presses for two minutes. How many reps can you get in? Certain exercises, you would have these time set days. And it was a brutal I'm program. Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was also, you know, influenced by the Bulgarians as well, because it's not a part, like you said, the only time you hear about that is like in kettlebells. So you think right. naturally Russians. So you can kind of see where that, that connection is coming from right there. Oh, yeah. But I think, I think what a lot of people should take, I mean, there's so many takeaways from this episode, but one of the things a lot of people should take away is, you don't want to wait for things to happen before you decide what to do about it. So you don't have to have paranoia about having a stroke, but put in some prevention strategies and then also be aware. Check out his book. Learn his story so that if this ever does happen, you hopefully it never does. But if it does happen to you or anyone you care about, at least you have a strategy that you can go to. You can put a plan yeah. of action, kick it into gear. Yeah. yeah, my biggest takeaway is um, basically really work on your mindset on a daily basis. Know who you are and what you're capable of before other people start seeping into your, your psyche and trying to tell oh, you yeah. otherwise. Because it's really easy for people to, to always doubt anything that you say. So if you think like, oh, well, I'm going to need this. No, that's not gonna, you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to walk for this, 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 and this. You'll never walk again. Or you'll never be able to lose this weight. Or you'll never be able to get right. rid of this, this, um, this, this disease, you know, or right. <laughs> any right. of these different things. So you can't let people just sit there. No, you know what? Hey, they may be right, but don't give them the satisfaction of just, you know, giving up right then and there and just go ahead and say, yep, yeah, you're right. 
No, try to prove them wrong, man. Try to prove them wrong because no one knows you better than you. And, again, when it comes to this human brain, when it comes to the mind, there's so much more we still don't understand about it. So a lot of times, you know, like Leo was saying, he couldn't believe that the doctor was asking him about this. Well, you know, and a lot of times they don't believe. A lot of times they don't believe in all the stuff they think is woo woo. You start talking about, you know, trying to get in and do a lot of more of the like, you know, metaphysical things and things like that. Because a, a lot of them don't want to go there. Because at the end of the day, most doctors, you know, you know, at least in the very beginning, doctors, you know, they're scientists. You know, where's the science? Where's the peer review? Where's the research on this? You know, they don't want to. They don't. They don't want to put their name behind something that hasn't been peer reviewed. You know, just for legal reasons and ethical reasons, whatever. So, but at the same time, that's their business. That's between them and their profession. It has nothing to do with you if you're not the doctor and you're giving out this information to a patient. So, again, there's so many things that we don't understand about the human brain that science hasn't figured out yet. So, you'd be surprised. So, challenge yourself, like I said, and make every time that you go and you do something, whether it's your training or, you know, hell, man, just making a business call or whatever else, you know, really get into that, that place of being uncomfortable. Because every time you do that, man, all you're doing is building muscle. You're building so yeah, much right. muscle, emotional muscle, where, you know, it's like, you know, and it builds so much confidence. So your mindset is going to change. Even when you get in a situation like Leo, you're like, nah, because like you said, Mike is the alternative to that. It's like, if I don't do this, the alternative is, hey, someone could be feeding me for the rest of my life. Someone could be pushing me around the wheelchair for the rest of my life. Or you know, someone's going to be making decisions for me for the rest of my life. When you start thinking about that, to me, that's scarier than any type of injury or anything I can endure, man. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> well, that's the way that's, you know, guys like us think that way. But the problem is a lot of people like the attention they get when they have a problem. All of a sudden people feel sorry for right. you. All of a sudden people are asked, people are curious, like, oh, what happened to you? And they're, they've never gotten that attention in their life. So now they right. have they have a mental impediment from that to actually improve. Right, right. So like you said, the mind is, you know, we're learning new things about the mind all the time, but a lot of times you're your own worst enemy. It's not, it's oh, not yeah. the doctor who's, who's giving you this bad advice. It's you're buying into it or your, your own mental impediments are stopping you from improving. But the one thing about doctors is, and obviously there's a lot of good doctors out there. I'm not saying categorically across the board that all doctors are bad, but I don't like doctors who speak in absolutes. And I've, I've experienced right. this personally and I've experienced it with family members. Like I already talked about what happened with my brother. But when my face first got burned, everyone diagnosed it as vitiligo. And to me, it didn't make sense that it was vitiligo, because if you study vitiligo, it starts off as a very small white patch, and then it grows over time, and it spreads. It's not just isolated like mine is. Mine's only on the right side of my chin and neck, and that's where that's, it, it, it came out of, I got burned, I recovered, that area didn't, right? That's the storyline. It's nowhere else on my body, and it's been over a decade. It hasn't spread anywhere. But these guys just didn't want to hear it. I would go in there and explain the inception, and they'd be like, no, nah, it's just coincidental. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me at all because there's not one other case of this coincidental that you're talking about. And I've studied this a great deal, probably more than they have. But they just didn't want to think about it. They just wanted to say, here's what you have. Here's what we can offer. Bye-bye. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. I don't want to think about what happened. It's like, no, 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 don't give me all that information. I just like, I don't get paid that much to think about all of that. <laughs> but just what they would say, I remember one, because I went to so many people when this first happened. I remember one doctor's like, this is going to spread. He's like, this is going to spread everywhere. It's going to affect fertility. He goes, the next place it's going to go is your balls and ass. I was like, well, can we move this to my balls and ass? <laughs> because 
<laughs> I don't really care if it spreads to my balls and ass. You know, I'm not a porn star. Not, <laughs> not like a lot of people are seeing that. <laughs> if if that were if that were the only places where it were, it, it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> But it's, but it's right on your face, and it comes out of nowhere. So I got a chance to prepare for this either. Most people, when they get Vita Ligo, they, they see it coming like, oh, I got this little white right. patch on my leg. So you start mentally prepared for where this is going. For me, is I went snowboarding. I got sunburned badly, which has happened many times. I recovered, and I was left with this basically white pigment on my face. This It looks right. like, a, like, what, like an albino skin, right? Basically, yeah. the pigments were destroyed. I didn't understand what happened. I was trusting these doctors to explain what happened and come up with the with the strategy. It was all very ineffective. And I had to take charge of it the way Leo talked about it. Like the more I learned about it, the more I read about it, the more I realized, okay, this is not Vita Ligo. And then my mother's my uncle, my mother's brother said, No, no, that's not Vita Ligo. This is called a coal burn, because he was a, a colonel in the military. And this would happen to some of his soldiers at high altitude. They would get some burn, same thing would happen. So it's extremely rare where I've never even heard that phrase before until he brought it up. But, but where I'm going is they were, I wasn't even getting diagnosed properly is where I'm going with this whole story. I was going to these experts and every single one of them misdiagnosed it. Not one of them diagnosed it correctly. Not one of them was even open to the idea that they were misdiagnosing it. And then they were giving me what they were giving me strategies for a condition I don't even have, which actually made it worse. Like one of the strategies is we're going to use this, it's called PUVA, where they're going to use this, they're going to use this ultraviolet light on your face. So oh, I tried that once because I trusted <laughs> these guys. And what happened? I got burned again. It's like, right. why would burning my skin, burning my, burning the skin being burned is what caused this problem in the first place. So why would burning and burning it again help? Imagine some burn victim goes to a doctor like, well, we're just going to burn you again and see if that helps. It would be ridiculous. Right. <laughs> So, of course, that, I mean, it did. Fortunately, I recovered from that. I got burned really bad to the point where it probably could have been a medical lawsuit if I wanted to take it that far. When I talk about malpractice, fortunately, I recovered from that burn. But I realized, OK, these guys don't know what they're talking. And even then, the guy's like, yeah, that happens sometimes. And you just have to try it again. Even, I was like, you're what? out of your mind, man. <laughs> you know, like, you're out of your mind if you think I'm going to come in there. Because it was painful as hell. Like, I'm not coming in there. And you, know, trying just, to you know what? Just keep trying until you end up looking like the fucking crypt keeper. Let's just burn the rest of your body. Then everything will be <laughs> in unison. You know? <laughs> there you go. So at least you match now. Hey. And then there's that. Like, come on, dude. Are you serious right now? <laughs> yeah, it, it was again, just amazing. Are you still? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I'm here. here. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So for some reason your volume faded out. It was almost like you were like <laughs> yeah. on a. Yeah, on I, a I thought I was about to get like, dropped. <laughs> it was like yes, and it just faded out. I'm like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all mine. <laughs> Yeah, but but whenever whenever a doctor says like this is your problem and here's what's going to happen, it's like what are you Nostradamus? You don't know what's going to happen. So I, I prefer someone who says like, look, here's what may happen. When they speak in the, that kind of verbiage, that gives me a little bit more confidence because they're exactly. they're not speaking. Well, you know what? It's also there's also that flip side of that. They're, for those doctors that do say, hey, these are these are the possibilities. It could be this, it could be that, it could be this, or we don't right, even know. Right. And then it's the right. that gets pissed off. Like you're the doctor, shouldn't you know? And then they start snapping off at yeah, too. So that's true. You know, you have to deal with you have to deal with that too because you know, 
one way or the other, somebody thinks that they're God. You know, so the ones that speak in absolutes, they feel like they're God, you know, and they have that God complex and like, I, you know, I know everything because of this. Or the flip side of that is that patient that believes that all doctors are God. That's the reason why, you know, us coming from the fitness field, anytime we tell someone, hey, this is what you need to do, this, this, and this, you know, and basically, no, no matter how detailed it is, it boils down to you need to get up off your ass, you need to move, you need to get a better program, and you need to start eating better. Well, oh, okay. But then as soon as their doctor says it, they come right back to you like, yeah, man, I went to my, I went and got my yearly, man, my doctor said I need to start exercising, I need to change my diet, man. Can you help me? Can you help me? Yeah, like, wait, huh? Wait, what? <laughs> like, so, yeah, I've, had, so I've again, had that happen many times. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I stopped doing it. Where the doctor gives the advice <laughs> you, you just gave, and now all of a sudden exactly. the advice is good. It's like, well, hey, my doctor said I shouldn't take that arlopoic acid you were talking about to get my blood sugar in line. I was like, yeah, I told you that three years ago. Now you're going to try it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> What's funny is when doctors give you advice back that you gave them, they don't remember that you're the one who gave it to them. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I had this one anti-aging doctor. who I asked him, like, at the time, there was I mean, it's still a good estrogen blocker out there. It's called Myomin, and it's made by yeah. Chi Health. It's a good product. But anyway... Dr. Wong recommended it to me. He goes, this is good for estrogen control. So I remember asking a doctor in Santa Monica, because he was talking about a Remedex and all these powerful anti-estrogens. I was like, eh, I don't, the literature I read on that, I don't, I don't want to go down that road. And he's, I was like, have you ever heard of something called Myomin? He's like, Myomin? He's like, no, nah, I never heard of it. And then I kid you not, like six months later, he came back to me. He's, he was looking at my blood work and everything was fine. He goes, you know, estrogen's good. If you want to drop it down a little bit lower, you could try a product called Myomin. Like, I just learned about it at this medical conference over the weekend. I was like, yeah, the one I told you about, you know, three years ago. And then the same doctor, I gave him one of my kettlebell videos. He never used yeah. it. And then probably two years later, he's like, hey, you know, I, I got this kettlebell video from a guy named Pavel. You ever heard of him? Really interesting stuff. I started training with it. I was like, uh-huh. What happened to the video I gave you, man? You know, it's, it's almost as if it's like, you're the patient, so I can't possibly learn anything from you. Exactly. Like, what are you? But doing? it goes into their That's subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, man, I spent 10 years, you know, going to school for this and going in debt for this. I know a lot more than you. <laughs> and I'm not in debt. So it looks like I'm smarter than you in that aspect, too. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> all right, man. So I think that's a lot. That's plenty. Yeah, that's a lot. We can wrap up there for sure. Cool, everybody. You already know what to do. So now it comes to house cleaning. <laughs> so yeah. once you hit up on my website. Yeah. In fact, you know, right about this time, I know you got a lot of stuff, a lot of specials going on because I know right about now we are into deep into the holiday season now, right around Black Friday and all that good stuff. So what's what's happening over there? Yeah, I'm, start, I'm starting, and actually, the sale is going to start on November 15th, which is next week. This episode will come out way after that time frame, but I'm start, I, I always start before everyone else does. I don't wait for, yeah. that's the other thing that cracks me up about people. They're like, okay, I'm going to wait until Cyber Monday for my sale or Black Friday. It's like, why do I have to wait until then? It's like, in fact, why, why do you want to wait when I, they're already giving their money to other people? It's like, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. get them now while their money's gonna, in their pocket. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to do it a week ahead of time or more so before, so I always start on the 15th of November. And then I take it till the end of November. Sometimes I extend it into December. Sometimes I don't. So we'll see what happens. But what I'm doing is 15% off any sale. So no minimum. And then 20% off 200 bucks and over, you get 20% off. So this is a good time to stock up on some products. Take the stuff you always, always take and buy several bottles of it. So you're good to go in 2018. So the coupon codes will be in my newsletter. The coupon codes will be on my website. Just make sure you check that out. I'm not sure when this episode is coming out, but most likely the sale will still be going on by the time it comes out. 
If not, too bad. <laughs> you know, you miss out. <laughs> you can wait. Oh, there's always 2018, November 2018. Exactly. If you miss it, look look on the bright side. If you miss it in November 2017, just make sure you're put it on market on your calendar for 2018. Exactly. And the other option is, <laughs> hey, you want to get some good discounts? So come in on patreon.com slash LLA podcast. Look at those tiers. Pick the best tier where you get the biggest discount. And then you don't have to worry about any of this because you, oh, yeah. you can use it all the time. As long as you're a patient. Right. We had a couple, Sean and Alyssa, they came in at that $50 level. Yeah. That yeah. just this past week. So they're going to get that 20% code and they can take advantage of it anytime they want. They don't have to exactly. rush into it this certain window. <laughs> you don't have, yeah, they don't have to wait a couple times a year. You know, they're right in there, man. So, so yeah, it should be you too, people. So get on that. All right. <clears throat> so. Like I said, head over to both our websites, MikeMullen.com, NewWarriorTrain.com. Head over to Patreon.com slash LLA Podcast. And also, go ahead and get those reviews in on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all, all those, so you can uh, meet Mike's challenge that we spoke about on the last episode with Andrew Derniak. So that's still going on as well. So for the right. first 20 people, yeah. So but by the time you listen to this, you'll probably pass that. So, if, you know, that's all things go well. So, yeah, man, that's going to wrap it up for this week. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. All right, folks. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.